Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by author, speaker, and amateur New Orleans-style trumpeter, Ken Brandt. Ken is the author of the book, Positive Vision, Enjoying the Adventures and the Advantages of Poor Eyesight. Ken is legally blind, so we're going to be talking about how he never let his legal blindness stop him. He was also a business owner before he retired. And for those of you who might not know, he was influential and the reason that I started the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast. Ken, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be back. It was so much fun. You know, it was almost a year ago doing the doing the first podcast. And uh, what could be better than to to have another one uh, with with some updates? Absolutely. Well, for those who didn't hear the first podcast, let's just start off by you telling everybody a little bit about yourself. Okay. I guess first, you know, how do we how do we even know each other? I I forget how we connected at first, but we ended up talking about all some really great different ideas you had, and one of them was to have some type of podcast, and you were talking about it, and I and you were thinking about it very analytically. But I thought, wait a minute, this is something you should really do. Go for it, go for it, and then. You know, here it is. You've you've gone for it, and now you have this giant, successful, you know, whole series of tons and tons of really interesting podcasts with interviews from all their, with all different people. It, it's so exciting to be a little little part of that. And you know, my little part was just you know encouraging you, and you went for it. And and then my other little part was just listening to someone. So I think I've we met the, on LinkedIn. The fun part of no work, you know. <laughs> I think we are actually connected on LinkedIn and you found out that I was a radio DJ. Okay. 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 Good. Good. So to answer your question a little bit more background on me, uh, you know, first, thanks for that great introduction. Uh, I, I would make one correction uh, related to my eyesight, which is I was legally blind for many years, but I've had a lot of ups and downs for my with my vision. So I well, while my eyesight is still very poor, I'm no longer legally blind. I've had six different eye operations, and and based on those, they've either you know saved my eyesight from getting way worse, or they've they've helped me back in contact lens. I mean, not contact lens. Cataract operation eyes uh, operations. I've had one of those in the eye and detached many to others. Uh, the cataract operations, what happens is your eyesight very, very slowly gets worse and worse and worse. And then you have the operation and boom, it's it's way better. It goes back to where it was. It doesn't get better than it was before, but it goes back to where it was, which is super, super exciting. So I've had uh, an interesting 
perspective because I've had this roller coaster of ups and downs with my vision. And then, like you said, I've, I'm a new author. This is my first book. And uh, you know, a bit of the reason for this interview is the audio book just came out. So it's not only available in hardcover paperback and, and all the different ebook formats, uh, but it's now available as an audiobook. And it was really fun and challenging to do the narration. I did most of the narration myself. Uh, the person who wrote the forward, who I was very honored that he wrote my forward, he wrote it and then also narrated it. He's actually an Australian and he got an award from the country of Australia. The, called the Order of Australia for all the work he's done and environmentally to help recover land where he's a forester and he goes literally all around the world and all around Australia helping uh, communities who have an, an old industrial, aban abandoned industrial sites or uh, old strip mines or some land that's in horrendous shape and he converts, helps them convert them back into meadows and forests it's really really cool so i was honored to have him write the forward to the book and then uh at the start of each chapter there's an inspiring quote or two and one of my friends read those quotes and at the end of each chapter there's an eye related or sight related joke or two and those a different friend who's actually a professional actor and a comic actor also he read those so with those three exceptions, which make up less than 1% of the book, uh, I read all the rest, which is 99%. And that was an interesting challenge and a fun thing to do. Well, tell us about the book. First of all, tell us how you got into writing and why you decided to write this book and what listeners can expect when they read the book or listen to the book. Okay. The book is... Uh, an adventure and humor-filled autobiography. It just a, It's a whole bunch of stories that I've been telling people for years, or depending on the age of the story, years or, or less, uh, that were stories of, the, that, uh, of things that had occurred to me, things I had done that people liked hearing over, over a coffee or a beer, or, and they thought they were funny or exciting. And so I said, well, you know, Maybe I should just put them all together, put them in a book and see what happens because it would be fun to write. And, and that turned out to be the case. I enjoyed the, the writing experience and I took my time. It took over two years. Uh, I'd write to have a little gap, write, have a gap, write, have a gap, edit, have a gap, et cetera. And that really worked out well. Uh, my writing experience before then was totally unrelated. I had I spent decades as a as a consultant and a senior manager in IT and cybersecurity. I'd had wrote written many wrote many things that are exactly the opposite of the book. You know, like bullet points and plans and checks checklists and strategies, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, risk mitigation step, all those things. So very very um, unexciting. Uh, relatively boring, not of interest to the general public kind of stuff. So I had to completely change the way I wrote. And in a way, uh, narration helped even before I narrated the book. I read the book out loud 
uh, a bunch of times as I was writing it and made changes based on does it do the words on the page sound like I would actually say them in a conversation when I was describing the events. And that really helps writing a, a lot when you when you actually write the way you talk and it's more interesting and exciting and you have the, the pauses and the cadence and the timing and the rhythm all, all the way you would speak. So that was good. And um, what's the book about? It's it's literally a series of adventures and anecdotes. You know, it talks about uh, adventures related to poor vision and it talks about advantages of poor vision. You know what? I'm definitely good vision. I've had I've had up, serious ups and downs, as I've said. Um, but good vision is absolutely better than poor vision, in my view. Anybody who can do anything to improve their eyesight, glasses, contact lenses, whatever their eye doctor recommends, uh, absolutely do that. I'm not saying that poor vision is better than good vision. But what I am saying is there are some advantages to poor vision, and it's fun to appreciate them and enjoy them. Now, for example, some advantages. Um, I believe that uh, for, if you have poor vision, in some ways, the world is a more beautiful place. And you can think of three examples where you, you look at, at nature. Suppose you're looking at a, a forest or meadows or the seashore or whatever you're looking at, right? And if two people are looking at it and, and one has better vision than the other, the one with lesser vision might not see some stuff like a little bit of litter here or there or, or a telephone line in front of us, what would otherwise be a more beautiful scene, that kind of thing. The person with good vision sees that. The person with poor vision might not see that stuff. It's literally more beautiful. And then the same thing happens with beautiful towns and statues and monuments and cities and bridges, man-made type things, where the person with good vision might paint a little rust, a little litter, a little crumbling. But the person with poor vision, you know, which would be me or uh, would, would look and go, they don't see any of that stuff. So the whole thing looks nicer. And then the same thing, the third example is with people, uh, especially as people get older, you know, they might have some scars or some wrinkles or some sagging or something. Well, if you have good vision, you have a much better view of that. If you have poor vision, you don't. Everybody's more beautiful and more handsome. It's really great. And as, and as people get older, you know, and some people's vision gets worse as they get older, this whole thing goes hand in hand and everybody just stays looking good. It's a, so that's an advantage of poor vision and I can give you lots more if you'd like, but uh, you know, that's sort of an easy first one. Well, you talk about how you did not let your poor vision stop you from living life. Tell us about some of the craziest adventures that you have done throughout your life with your up and down vision. When I was going to college, I, I, I thought it would be interesting to learn how to parachute. And a part of that is because I have, because I do a poor vision, like, you know, I like to, I like going for walks and I like running. I can see, okay, for, for that. Um, 
but bicycle riding, I can easily go, not that I am a super bicyclist, but I can easily go faster than I can easily see sort of potholes and, and dips and bumps and stuff in the, in the road. So I have to be careful and go pretty slow with that. So I'm not as excited about bicycle riding. And then driving is totally out of, you know, that's just really bad for society. It's, it's really good for society that I cannot get a driver's license. That would just be a disaster. So I like, I, all those things are, are fun. I like going fast, but I can't, I don't really have the opportunities to go nearly as fast as I would like. So I thought, ah, parachuting, you see it in movies, you see it on TV. It looks like they're really, really literally flying along, going really fast. I said that, you know, and you don't have to worry about running into anything when you parachute, they're just up in the sky. So I thought, all right, all right, let me learn that. That would be fun. What I should have thought about, but didn't think about before I did it was, am I going to be able to actually see the place I'm supposed to be landing? Uh, for some reason, I didn't think about that, you know, but that, that happens when you're in your 20s and, you know, you don't think that as many things through as you should. So I went to a place uh, near my university. It was in Downsville, Maryland. Literally, that's the name of the place, which is hysterical for a parachute training place, Downsville, Maryland. Go there with two friends, and then there were maybe a 30, 40 other people there. So there were a total of maybe 40 people learning how to parachute that weekend. You go through the training, and the training was really fun. You, you jump off boxes, practice landing, you learn if you're if you're gonna land in a forest, which of course you never want to, cross your legs, you know, that's a really good idea. Um, you learn how the parachute works, how your backup parachute works, when to use your backup parachute, you know, why you have to be super careful not to use your backup parachute too soon, because if your parachute and your backup parachute open, they can get entangled and neither one's going to do the job and, and it's going to be a big mess because you're going to be falling way faster than, than is safe. So anyway, you learn all this stuff and you get in this little tiny plane when you're so you're, you've got your parachute on, you get in this little plane, and the first three parachuting jumps you take, uh, you're actually connected uh, just before you jump, they connect you to the plane itself with this long cord that releases the parachute. So that's one less thing you have to think about is literally pulling the ripcord on your first three jumps because you have enough other stuff to think about, and it's uh, it's sort of uh, terrifying, but very exciting. So we go up in this little plane and it's really little. It's the pilot, there's the instructor, and maybe three at the most newbie skydivers. So I'm, I'm in this little plane and you get, to get in the plane, there's an opening where the door would be, but there's no actual door. So the, the side of this little plane is just this big opening, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm only inches away from this opening and we take off and we start flying up into the air. And I, I was a little apprehensive right there. I wasn't even doing anything. I'm just sitting in the plane, but I'd never sat in a plane before where there was this big opening to the, the entire outside an inch away from me. So anyway, we get, we get into the position over where we're about to uh, parachute and it's my turn. So what you did in this plane was you didn't jump from the door. You had to climb out through the opening 
and there was a metal bar underneath one of the wings and a different metal bar above one of the wheels. So you, you hang on to them for dear life. You, you go out holding on to the bar and standing on the other bar. The plane is flying. The engine is roaring. It's, un, it's very, very windy because you're, you're outside the plane holding on to make sure you don't fall off. And that's what you're doing, right? And then the instructor, you can, you can tell he's yelling, but you have no idea what he says because it's so loud out there. But he's telling you to jump. So then after holding on for dear life, you let go. You jump back and up. And you're in the air falling very fast. And the plane gets very, very far away. Uh, it's just, you know, it's literally a plane flying. So it goes away really quick. And you're thinking, all right, wait a minute. Do I open the backup parachute? What do I do here? You know, is it, is it, is it the amount of time? And you're trying to count the seconds and stuff. Finally, my parachute opens. It feels great. It really, there's nothing better than having your parachute open because what a, what a relief. And then you have the really fun ride as you're floating down. But then I realized, wait a minute, where am I supposed to go? And I'm looking around and thinking, well, I should have thought about this a little bit beforehand. But I, I figured it out by deduction. I said, all right, wait a minute. They, everything around me is, well, there's a highway over there. There's crops of fields, farmer's fields all over the place, except for one place, which was clear. And I said, all right, that's got to be where I'm aiming for, the one place that's not a farm. So I aim for that. And then when I get much, much closer, I'm, I'm sure everybody could see it further away than I could, but I, you get much, much closer. And then I could see there's a circle of people. I said, all right, good. That's probably what I'm supposed to aim for in the middle of that circle. So then I get much, much closer. Other people could probably see it, but I couldn't see it until I got much closer. And then I could see this disc, a frisbee-sized disc in the middle of the circle, which is what you aim for in competitive parachuting. How close can you get to that disc? So I was really, really trying to hit that disc. I came pretty close. I didn't hit it, but I, I did very well compared to everybody else. So that was so super exciting. It was great. Then they ask everybody, you know, you want to do it again. The vast majority of people didn't want to do it again. They were they were terrified or, or whatever, but I, I was super excited. I said, this is just tremendous. I want to keep doing this. I want to learn to get really good at this. So then you have the choice. Well, if you're going to go again, somebody else can pack your parachute for you, or you can pack your parachute yourself. We'll teach you how to do it. I said, oh, teach me how to do it. I want to do that. So that's good. So uh, they explain the process and I go out into the field and I follow the, the procedure they said. You lay the parachute out and then if it's windy, which it was, you have to find some rocks in the field and you put them down on the parachute to hold it down so the wind doesn't blow. It. Then you go to one side and as you fold the parachute, you throw the rocks out. So I think I'm doing a great job with it. I'm packed. I'm ready to go. I go back in the little plane, go back up, jump out again. Same excitement when the parachute opens. That was really good. But this time, parachute opens, and bam, 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 all these rocks are falling on me. Bam, 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 bam. Little and medium-sized rocks. There weren't any really big rocks, which, you know, I wouldn't have done those. But still, I was pretty surprised. Luckily, 
you wear a motorcycle helmet when you parachute. So uh, it was no harm done. You know, I got, you know, it didn't land on my helmet or on my shoulders. That was no big deal. I was a little worried about below me. I looked down, you know, I, I couldn't see anybody below me. I don't know whether I missed them or not, but I never heard any complaints and nobody ever said anything about all the rocks. So I assume nobody, every, nobody was hurt. Everybody was okay. So then I, I also landed pretty close to the target. And uh, the next time I did a much, much better job of throwing the rocks. You know, you learn, you live and learn. So that was good. After my third jump, I, I got a warning uh, from my eye doctor. I hadn't thought to ask him about any of this beforehand. He pointed out to me that if you've had a detached retina in either eye, and I'd had it in both of those, that a really sharp bump to the head could cause the detached retina to become detached again, and you could go uh, blind or lose significant vision in that eye. So I had to, reluctantly, I had to give up parachuting. And it was by then I was I, I had quickly become the captain of my university parachute team, which was fun, but I had to give it up um, since I'm glad I had the experience. And since then, I recommend parachuting skydiving to everybody. You know, it was really, really fun. And uh, unless you've had a detached retina, in which case I, I say don't go for it. Uh, it's not worth the risk. I stayed in touch with my parachute buddies for a long time. I've lost touch with them now, but uh, I thought it was great. So I say anybody who's listening who wants to go for it, go for it. So that was that was one of the adventures, for example. And I think that's the kind of thing that actually leads. It's also an advantage, too, because I undoubtedly would have continued parachuting. I really liked it. I would have kept going, you know, going to higher heights and parachuting it all looked really good to me uh, but you know maybe that wouldn't have been a good idea maybe i actually lived longer because i gave up parachuting it could be an advantage as well well i'll tell you what the life insurance company sure wouldn't like you very much <laughs> yeah i know i um anytime i've read a life insurance policy which is you know, not that often uh you know, I always I always look for that in the fine print anyway, but uh, most of the time by far when I had a life insurance policy was through work. So they didn't, you know, they didn't ask you anything. You know, you just signed a piece of paper saying how much you wanted in life insurance. So, uh, right. That was it. I, I didn't have to actually negotiate any life insurance policy. Well, you also are an amateur style New Orleans trumpeter. Tell us about that because I played the trumpet when I was going through school, junior high and high school. So tell us about that. Cool. Well, some post-pandemic day when we actually can get together in person, you know, when I can uh, fly around and maybe go to Kansas and meet you, it would be really fun. We could we could play a little together. Um, I am a long time, uh, but, you know, definitely not so great. I'm an amateur trumpet player. I really think it's a lot of fun. I'm in a couple of different bands. One is a trad jazz band and one is a, a protest band where we basically join demonstrations and protests in favor of human rights of different types and uh, 
environmental causes. So both are really fun. Both have been inactive though for the past year due to the pandemic. So I have not been practicing as much as I should have been. And I am looking forward to uh, post-pandemic life when we can get out of lockdown here in, in Melbourne, Australia and get together as bands and start playing again. So that'll be a lot of fun. One of the things I want to do is uh, make some videos uh, talking about my book. And I think it would be really fun to have some background music and uh, maybe make a video about the music on the video too. That could be one of the videos. Uh, and have a whole bunch of my friends come over. We'll go out to the park and we'll just play play a song over and over and whatever the best version of it is, use that in the video. So I think that would be a really fun project. Yeah, you could definitely create the Ken Brandt YouTube channel and do something like that. Exactly. It would be fun. What time and then I think I, maybe I would create two, uh, one sort of the standard one and one with audio description. Absolutely. Well, tell us about, besides your audio book, any current or upcoming projects that you're going to be working on, because I know you're not going to let this be your last book. I know you got something else new in the works. <laughs> well, it, I'm still spending time, you know, trying to publicize the book. And thanks again for, for this, this interview. It's so fun to talk to you again. Uh, I'm doing that and working out and you know, start practicing more. So that kind of thing takes up time. But I have been in several discussions about my next book. Um, one of my friends is trying to convince me that that he and I and, and also my wife, Judy, we should travel around Australia and the world going to pizza places uh, and meeting the owners and taking photographs of the pizza place and doing reviews of the pizzas. Uh, that seems to me it would be very fun because, of course, I love pizza. Uh, but I don't know if I want to do it because what if we go to a pizza place and I don't like it? I, I wouldn't want to write a bad review. I would, I'd, I'd feel bad about that. And then I'd, and then if we didn't write a review, I'd feel bad that we didn't write a review. So I, I, I think the good reviews would be a ton of fun and meeting everybody would be a ton of fun. But I don't, I don't know how I feel about writing a bad review. So I don't know what to do with that idea yet. The second idea is, and this is actually mentioned at the tail end of my book, is I say, if you're reading this book and you do have poor vision and you have any adventures and advantages or jokes or quotes or anything you think would be good to share about poor vision, uh, let me know. You know, go to my website and send me a message and I'll accumulate all of those, get them together, and potentially, if I have enough, have another book about, you know, pretty much the same subject, but other people's stories just combined and what different incidents and advantages and humor and adventures and stuff from other people. So that's another, a second idea. And then the third idea is, which, which I might end up doing first, is basically a version of my book for kids. So positive vision, enjoying the adventures and advantages of poor eyesight for kids. Uh, maybe I'd make it a smaller title, but basically for kids. And it would be a kid's book, you know, like when you're learning to read, you know, it, it would have to be 
you know, smaller, different stories, uh, color pictures, that kind of thing, you know, and as well as, of course, uh, a narration version, an audiobook version. But I, I think it would be fun, for, you know, a lot of little kids like me, you know, didn't, didn't see that well when we were little kids. So it could be good. So those are my three ideas at this point. And, you know, other things pop in and yeah, you never know. So something along those lines will happen. You're exactly right. I will write another book after a while. Well, I think you should go in the order of three, two, one. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. That could be good. Well, give us. I need to. I need to meet more little kids, to because one of the things that helped me a lot with my, with the book I did write is I showed the draft to a bunch of people and they were very helpful. So I I need to go find a bunch of I don't know whatever age group I'm aiming for, you know, a bunch of you know, five to seven year olds or something, and and run the draft by. But that'll be fun too. Well, if you guys got any school for the blind, you know, maybe they'll let you come in and talk to the kids and see what they think about it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a good idea. And and of course, the the beauty of, of asking kids what they think of it is in a lot of ways, they'll they'll be even more blunt than adults. A lot of adults, you have to sort of buy it out of them because if they if they don't like one section or they have an idea they might be reluctant to tell you because they're trying to be too polite but a kid will enthusiastically tell you it would be good if we was exactly what you're looking for well go ahead and give out the contact information the website and the social media links so people can stay connected with you once you start those ideas oh okay great um my website is my name it's uh, www.kenbrandt.com. So K-E-N-B-R-A-N-D-T.com. And on there, you can find uh, links to uh, all kinds, uh, links to, for example, your interview of me a year ago, uh, book, book reviews, and now I have a lot of book reviews, uh, a page which uh, actually lists tons of places that sell books. And again, it's available every place online that sells books and audiobooks, every major place. Um, it has uh, book reviews, articles, a profile of me, you know, gallery showing pictures and topics in the book. So it's full of different stuff like that. And it also has a contact page. So if you've got some ideas uh, that you'd like to include in a compilation of other people's adventures and anecdotes and stories and tips or vision. Great. Please get on there and, and send them to me. I'll, I'm accumulating them. And if you want to be on my emailing list, uh, you can sign up there as well. I, uh, very, I send out very, very, very few emails, you know, like I've sent out two, I think in, in the last 10 months. So, it's not going to overwhelm your inbox if you decide to sign up. Very careful about that. And then it also has social media links. So it's got a link to my Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Goodreads. Goodreads is a site for readers and authors. Uh, so it's got links to all of those, which is fun. And any comments or thoughts or connections you want to make on any of those, I'd, I'd love to hear from anybody in your audience. Absolutely. So KenBrandt.com, why don't you close us out with some final thoughts? 
Okay. Uh, first, thank you again. Uh, second, uh, there's a, a piece of advice that I have at the at the end of the summary of the book, which is, uh, you know, first do everything you can for your own health. You know, exercise, eat right, get enough sleep, do all the all the standard stuff everybody says you should do. Do all the stuff your eye doctor says you should do. If there's ways to, you know, protect your eyes, you know, wear sunglasses when you're in the sun, wear uh, protective gear if you're doing any any work that might have chips or anything like that. Uh, if you can get glasses, if they'll help you get glasses, if you can get contacts, get contacts. If they say, you know, take some eye drops or have an operation and the whole thing sounds safe and good, you know, go for it. Do everything you can to improve your sight. But then once you get to that point, you're going to get to some point where, all right, you're at, at maximum vision, which might be great, you know, or it might be like mine, not so hot, but, you know, as, much, as good as it's going to get. Then just be satisfied with that. Be happy with whatever level of sight you have. You go, all right, this is it. I have one life. This is, this is the vision I've got. And then whatever your goals are, whatever your hopes are, don't let that vision interfere with it. Go for it. Just give it a red hot go. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the humor, and just have a fun life going after going after the things you want to do and and enjoying it with the people you want to enjoy it with. So that's my sort of summary of suggestions. That's the perfect summary, ladies and gentlemen. KenBrant.com. Be sure to follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible, and also purchase and read Ken's book. It's going to be a real good read, and it's going to be real inspiring for you. Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living a Dream with Curveball podcast app. Ken, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thank you. It's been a blast. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.